Thanks again for <clears throat> those of you sending in questions. A lot of questions about detachedness, uh, detachment, openness, fear and anxiety about losing people. Great questions. <clears throat> First of all, detachment is not numbing out. It's not not feeling. Detachment is feeling deeply and then letting go or not letting go, let's say moving on to the next thing. In other words, if you have a great meal, you can eat it obsessing about your weight and it's not organic or food combining or many, many other things, the cost of it, etc. And then the great meal isn't so great because it's filled with a lot of anxiety or obsessions or control or considerations, etc. Or you can have a great meal and just, you know, you've decided to do it. You already thought it through and you completely and totally enjoy it. And when it's over, it's over. And then you do the next thing. You might decide to lose weight. You might decide that you're not going to go um, to the spa this week because you spent money on this great meal that costs a lot of money. So you go to the next thing and do it. And when you've done it, you go to the next thing. And there's no obsessing and wondering and what if and should I, etc. So detachment is the capacity to feel fully but not have those feelings own you or become obsessive or ruin the experience afterwards. And the reason that people can't work with detachment very well is fear and anxiety. Oh, sorry, Pia. Playing with a toy and you got hit. Fear and anxiety, control, obsession. But most of all, not having a really good relationship with the self. In other words, no place to come home to. And sometimes you can get even detached about not having a physical place to go home to. You can get detached about a lot of things if you are secure in your relationship with yourself. And also if you have faith. Faith does not mean that you believe Jesus will save you. Faith is that you will get through things because you have before. And that spirit is working with you because you have a deep and solid relationship and connection with spirit. Now, if you don't have a deep and solid relationship and connection with spirit, then you don't have that. And if you don't have a relationship with yourself, you don't have that either. Therefore, detachment is impossible unless you're faking it with sort of toxic positivity and you know, pretending like, yeah, I forgave my father. Well, really? Then why'd you have to even bring it up? <laughs> if you forgave your father, it shouldn't even be on your mind at this point. <clears throat> Detachment is also related to fear of vulnerability, fear of getting close, and intimacy. If I don't have a relationship with myself, if I don't have faith and a relationship with spirit, that means every time I get close to somebody, they're it. They are going to make or break my world. And 
a lot of people are scared of that. They want to know that the person loves them and they'll be with them forever and they love the person. Well, the reality is the person you are deeply in love with could get hit by a car at any moment. So basing your balance point, your entire balance point on this person loves me and I love them and now we're leaning on each other and I can't live without them, not the healthiest bonding to do. Fear, anxiety, compulsions, addictions come out of fear and anxiety. Also, come out of trauma. And the trauma can be from childhood. It can be chronic. It can be complex. It could be an event. It could be a pattern. Everybody is different. Some people don't know that they have a trauma brain. They don't realize that what they've lived through has reprogrammed their brain, reprogrammed the release of hormones and neurotransmitters so that they get triggered a lot and they don't even know it. They don't even understand that this is what's going on with them themselves. So before you work on detachment, you have to be able to feel your feelings. And I always emphasize this, and one of the problems with emphasizing this is people act like this is a stopping point. And they'll do things like show up at someone's house drunk and say, well, I'm drunk and I'm feeling my feelings and I'm depressed. And no, you don't get to show up at someone's house and dump that on them. <laughs> you don't get to feel your anger and now you get angry at everybody inappropriately and um, work out your emotions on everybody else and expect everybody to hang around while you have emotional temper tantrums. Feeling your feelings is, is just like putting on a bathing suit to go in the water or stripping down to go in the water. Then you got to get in the water, which is you have to learn to heal and self-regulate or reparent yourself when you're massively emotional. But if you can't feel your feelings, you can't work on detachment. So detachment is kind of way down the line in terms of a skill set. Um, it's more into the spiritual domain, in my opinion, than just pure psychology, which is feeling your feelings and self-regulation and self-parenting, etc., and having skill sets on self-care, etc., because detachment requires faith, not religious faith, faith and a spiritual practice and a relationship with spirit. Before I get to detachment, let's look at some of these other questions here, which of course I just completely deleted. <laughs> so now I have to go back to it. Fear of being open with people and that if you're open with them, you might lose them. Great question. Pure psychology to work with this. If you think you're going to lose someone by being open with them and you want to be open with them because right now you feel the relationship is kind of phony or fake or not as deep as it could be, I suggest that you go back to writing. Writing helps you figure out what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're doing. And write down, I want to say... The pros and cons of losing a person that you're afraid of losing. Like what's the worst that could happen and what's the best that's going to happen. And the pros and cons of keeping the relationship the way it is. Meaning you're afraid to be open, but the way the relationship is now 
doesn't work anymore or it's not good enough. Now you're looking at your choices. Both choices are going to suck. That's just reality. When we're at that transition point where we're trying to grow, where we are is stuck or dysfunctional or not working, not good enough. And where we're going is going to be new and scary, and it's going to upset the relationship for a while, and then the relationship's going to settle back down into something new, or it might end. It might end temporarily. It might end permanently. So you have to look at your current fear of keeping the relationship and your current fear of losing relationship and the price you're paying for both of those things and have to start there. You, how can you detach if you don't know exactly what's going on inside of you? In one of the Happiness Labs uh, podcasts, The Science of Happiness, I think it's called, or The Happiness Lab, I can't remember, with Dr. Lori Santos, and one of the skill sets they talk about there, of course she always interviews these wonderful resource people, is this concept that you prepare for the worst and then look at whether you can survive it and whether it's worth it. And then look at what's going on now. Same thing I'm talking about using slightly different words. Prepare for the worst, hope for the best, and then you proceed. Now, why is openness so uncomfortable? It's uncomfortable because you're changing the relationship. If you've been hiding that you drink, you've been hiding that you're cheating, you're hiding how angry you are, a lot of... uh, People coming out of a Christian background or religious background, you know, anger in this country is a big no-no. Another thing talked about in uh, Lori Santos' podcast is that America is particularly, um, let's say, polluted with the concept that if you're feeling anything else but happy, something's wrong. You don't find that in Eastern cultures. You don't find that even in a lot of European cultures. It's predominantly American. It's really toxic, and it's particularly toxic now, more so than ever. So a lot of people don't even know what they're hiding from a partner or how ashamed they are of an emotion, etc. So suddenly changing relationship or gradually changing relationship, yeah, there's a good chance you're going to lose it. And, and this happens even, let's say, you stop being a heroin addict. You stop being an alcoholic. The families often don't like you when you're sober. <laughs> it's just a reality. That's why they have programs like Al-Anon for people who uh, are in toxic relationships that they can't leave or they don't want to leave and how to keep their focus on themselves, their path, their life, their spirituality, so that if and when their partner gets sober that they're ready to handle that. So if you are someone who has been sweet and kind and you help everybody, or you're somebody who always goes, I'm so helpful to everybody and I never give to myself. And of course you do, you buy everything you want, you go to every vacation you want, etc. But you've been, you know, just peddling this story. And now you've decided to come clean and say, you know, I'm pretty selfish and I feel like I take everything from you and that we mostly do what I wanna do coming into the openness with that, uh, things are going to change. You might have a partner that now feels like he or she has the right to let loose about how upset they are with you or how much they don't like what you've been doing. 
especially now that you seem to have known about it and you never did anything to fix it. And what does that say about how much you think about them, etc.? All fear and anxiety comes down to a sense that you're not going to make it. You don't have the resources for it. There is no such thing as spirit, or if there is, it's you can't count on it, and it's not necessarily going to help you. Or that you're so you are so empty inside that if you stop being the giver or the fixer or some kind of resource person for people, that once you stop doing that, they may not like you anymore. And the truth is, they may not. They may not like you. So before we talk about detachment, you're going to also have to learn to handle anxiety and fear. And how do we handle that? Again, the happiness podcast, great podcast on that. Woman who teaches mindfulness meditation talks about a bunch of tools, everything from vagus nerve stimulation, and there's books on that. I uh, belong to Scribe, the app, the app S-C-R-B-D, instead of Audible. Audible does a lot of more lighthearted books and bestsellers, and Scribe seems to have a lot more nonfiction and psychology and science books, etc., so I like them better. And there's a ton of books on there on the vagus nerve and how to use that to calm yourself down. There's emotional freedom therapy, which is also known as tapping. There's yoga, there's meditation, there's running and exercise. There's all these things. But what they emphasize in the podcast is before you hit fear and anxiety, you have to create a toolbox for handling it. And you create that when there isn't fear and anxiety. You practice, 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 practice. You put post-its. They say, I've said this too for years and years, on your dashboard of your car, on your computer, on your toilet seat, on your mirror, in your refrigerator, listing all your tools that you are now good at, that you know how to use before you need them. Then when you actually need them, there's your post-its and you already know how to do EFT. You already know how to do vagus nerve. You already know how to do yoga. You already know how to go out and go running. And this is how you start to handle fear and anxiety. So before you work on detachment, you have to work on how do you do self-care on fear and anxiety and how do you regulate those emotions so they don't run you over? Because if they run you over, there's no way you're working on detachment. You just got triggered and you're reactive. So that's a year or two of work right there. As far as being open and honest, that needs practice too. Where do you practice? You have to practice in a group. You can start by writing letters about all your dark stuff and burning them with that little prayer that I've talked to so many people about. Please take this horrible stuff from me. I'm ready to let it go. If it's in my highest good, take it from me. One of three things is going to happen. It's going to get better because you've learned the lessons that you needed to learn. It's going to get worse Or it's going to stay the same. If it stays the same, that means you're doing great. Keep up the good work. If it gets worse, it means, yeah, you kind of fell off the path here, and uh, we're going to make the lesson really clear to you. That's one way to start. Another way to start is saying those things out loud in prayer. But you have to have an empty room, and you have to be incredibly honest. Like, 
I've never loved having sex with my husband and his penis is too small or my wife's vagina smells and I hate that I have to have sex but I like the money and I I don't want to give up all my material goods and I don't want to work because I'd rather stay home and play video games. I mean, that's how honest you need to get. Another way to practice honesty so that you can begin to feel your feelings and regulate them and parent yourself is my favorite thing is being in a group, a safe group such as a 12-step meeting where you speak, not that you just listen, you can start with listening, but at some point you're gonna have to talk. You could also see if there's a church group around or a men's drum circle or some kind of safe place for you to share where people basically clap or say thanks for sharing and it's between you and your higher power. You're just learning to be really, really honest. You're not going there for advice or to get fixed or anything else like that. One of the great things about working with a group is you find out that you're really open and some people aren't gonna to wanna to have anything to do with you and it's their stuff, it's not your stuff. They don't like you. Perhaps uh, they don't like you because you love Trump. Perhaps they don't like you because you're gay. Perhaps they don't like you because uh, you don't look black, but now they found out you are black. <laughs> or your religion that they hate, or you're rich or poor. There's all kinds of things you'll find out that people don't like you, and you get used to people not liking you, and still being in a recovery group with them and having that be okay. Then not everybody has to love you. Enough of that already. It's not like you need a fan club for Christ's sake. You need to love yourself. You'll also find people that do like you and they'll come to you and say, oh, that was so brave what you shared and it was so wonderful and it helped me so much. The Glennon Doyle podcast, aside from the fact that she's in therapy and she is in recovery and so she can share those experiences, is basically she's doing this podcast where she just says stuff that no one else talks about. Brene Brown does a lot of that also. She also has a ton of research to back up the things that she says. But that's why people love her so much is that they're getting permission to actually be open and talk about themselves. And where do we find that in the society? It's not very easy to find that. So we're talking about really getting kind of a desensitization process going on about feeling your feelings, being honest and being open. But first you have to learn to regulate your emotions because suppose you get open and then you have an anxiety attack and you don't know what to do with it. So you're, you're like, screw that. I'm never going to be open like that again. I suffered for the next three weeks. I, you know, I had a breakdown. I couldn't leave the house, etc. So we have to kind of do this in a gradient in order to get desensitized and build up trust in ourselves and eventually trust in spirit and trust in our path. The thought of detachment does make people feel like they might lose people because, first of all, they don't know what detachment is. Not necessarily first, but they don't know what detachment is. And also, they don't know what love is. By love, I mean the only two loves that are never going to leave you ever are your love of self and the love of spirit and your love of spirit. Now, when I talk of love of self, I don't mean this, you know... I'm going to go to the spa and I'm going to buy more clothes and I'm going to bring my family over and cook for them and they're all going to love me. No, I'm talking about where you are really 
proud of yourself and the work you do on yourself, the choices you make, how you clean up your mistakes, your integrity, your morals, your values, that you're a superhero inside, that you're a champion inside, that you're inside, you're somebody you'd like to know, that you'd like to be with, and who is a role model for you, which also means you're a role model for screwing up and, and getting over that and getting through that. So until we get the anxiety and fear handled, learning to be open and identify emotions and share them without dumping them on people, expecting them to fix everything or tolerate our craziness, we can't even begin to feel comfortable with the idea of detachment and being open. I'm talking about one to two years of work if you're actually doing the work. And another way to do this work, by the way, is the holistic psychologist has published a wonderful book called How to Do the Work. She also has a group online. There's a waiting list. You have to go to her website about every three to four months that group opens up. I think it's like $26 or $28 a month. But you actually have to do the work. You have to read the books. You have to get on the forum. You have to do stuff. If you just join the group, it doesn't do anything by osmosis. <laughs> so... If you're in therapy, by the way, I would suggest that you still do this kind of work. You can also read up on psychology and you can read up on fear and anxiety and vagus nerve and all of that and bring that into your therapy sessions. When I have sessions with people, I'll, sometimes I'll give them work to do. On the monthly work, always they have homework. They don't do the homework. What can I do? Nothing. I had people coming to me for years and not doing any work. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, what can you do? And they just look at me. Well, then you're not ready to do the work. Then, you know, just live your life until something else gets so bad you can't handle it or you have some free time or desire. Other people I've given homework, like go to a 12-step meeting. They do. They come back a month or two later. I went to the 12-step meeting like you told me to. Oh, like, what am I, your mother? Okay, great. What'd you learn? The growling you hear, by the way, is Sophie, the new puppy, playing with me. <laughs> ah, you're so cute. So I say, what'd you learn? And they look at me like, oh, I'm supposed to learn something? <laughs> I go, yeah, so what'd you learn? They go, um, I learned how to take better care of myself. Great. What'd you learn? Like, what did you learn? What'd you do? And they don't have an answer because they're just making a bullshit. They just did what they were told. Kind of like, you know, if I do 10 Hail Marys, I'm forgiven. No, that's religion. Psychology and spirituality, you have to do shit. And if you can't do shit, then maybe it's not time for you to do the work. So the holistic psychologist or reading on your own. There's other books out there. There's, like I said, Vegas nerve books. There's emotional freedom tapping. Uh, therapy, which is called tapping. So many resources out there that weren't around in my youth where I had to like go to a library or go find shamans and medicine people who, by the way, when we lived in tribes, were always the original therapists. We had that built into society. We just don't have it now in modern society. So what is the difference between detachment and avoiding people night and day detachment means fully engaging being willing to be hurt to be abandoned to be left to feel betrayed 
and know that you'll get through it, but it's worth doing because you want to love that person. Just like it's worth eating that expensive fattening meal because you really want to do it. And you know that later you'll make up for it and you'll get through it and you won't go on an eating splurge and you won't suddenly start puking your guts out or overeating or anything like that, that you will just be able to eat this fabulous meal, save the money back up, put the money back in your bank account by not spending money on other things for a week or so. For those of you who have to watch your finances, which is not everybody, but some people or a lot of people, but fully enjoying the meal. So detachment is, I'm going to be friends with this person and if they dump me, I'll survive and I'll get through it and I'll look at, did I make a poor choice and what did I learn and all that other good stuff. But I'm not going to walk around on eggshells all the time around them or not try being friends with people because of that. I am resilient enough, which is what a healed, healthy person is, is resilient enough, which I also talk about on the Happiness Lab podcast, to suffer all the bumps of the dirt road and survive and be okay. So I can fully enjoy life, like going skiing. I can go skiing and I'm not going to ski and the whole time go, what if I die? What if my ski falls off? What if I get caught in a blizzard? What if I get lost? That's not a fun ski trip. (laughs) Ski trip is, I think I have enough going that I can safely learn to ski and it will be fun. But that's after a couple of years of healing work. Avoidance is just not feeling at all complete opposite of detachment. It is very hard to get or be detached from someone who fulfills an emotional emptiness in you. In other words, if the person makes you feel special, if the person makes you feel sexy, if the person makes the the keywords here, makes you feel, well then learn to feel that way all by yourself, God damn it. That doesn't mean you can't get compliments and reassurance and all that. No, of course you can. But that's like dessert. And you don't live on dessert. You live on good solid food, protein and vegetables and not too much sugar. So once you can handle anxiety and fear, you've been able to identify feelings. Great book, by the way, out by Brene Brown for identifying feelings called Atlas of the Heart. I think you have to buy it. It's a very beautiful book I've heard, glossy paper, color, like a desk book, you know, or a coffee table book. And I don't think it's online uh, right now. I mean, I don't know if it'll ever be. It's something kind of like having a dictionary. You kind of need it there to look at it. So you learn to feel your feelings. You learn to regulate. Now you learn to be proud of yourself, your values, your integrity, your ability to correct mistakes, your ability to make amends and heal your heart, not make amends to manipulate someone else and make them like you again, but to heal your own heart for being a bitch or an idiot or mean or malicious or stealing or cheating or lying or being a fake person. And now you're kind of up and running. And that's when you can risk then being vulnerable with someone that you're really attached to in many, many ways. And after a while, you can learn to be attached and then continue to work on detachment and what freedom that gives people in your life. Now, on the other side of that, just to mention, 
People who are sociopaths and even malignant narcissists can gaslight people and say that they're being open and vulnerable and honest and these people actually know how to do this and they're doing it to get shit from you and they don't give a rat's ass about you and they can often say well I'm detached you know when I'm with you I'm with you when I'm not with you I'm not with you and they're cuckoo people and if you are educated about narcissism, gaslighting, and love bombing, you can pretty much avoid this stuff. If you are running around with a trauma brain and not very healed, there's a good chance you will at some point become a target for this kind of material. But they will use the language of detachment, and it's, it's not that at all. What they're saying is, I want to take from you whatever I want to take. I'll say whatever I need to say to you to get what I want. And then I'm just going to walk away from you whenever I feel like it and have no personal responsibility. And then I'll come back to you when I feel like it. And they might use the language of detachment for that. And that is not detachment. And they might say, well, I'm just being honest with you and open. Bullshit. <laughs> They're not. Now, that's a whole other discussion. And for those of you who don't know much about narcissism, gaslighting, and being manipulated, Dr. Romani on YouTube is a specialist in narcissistic relationships and that's all her, her uh, YouTube podcasts are about and she's really worth listening to. If you don't feel like reading, I would definitely check her out and learn about that. Remember, everything has a good and bad side. Too much detachment, you might be gaslighting yourself and fooling yourself like I'm not hurt, I'm detached, I'm spiritually advanced. And you bullshit, you are attached and you're mad that this person did this or didn't do that and you're just lying to yourself. So you need to be careful of staying in balance with all of this. Detachment, like letting go, which I don't believe in letting go, I don't let go, I give it to spirit. And if I'm done with it, spirit takes it and then it's gone. There might be an occasional hiccup a few years down the road, but it's gone. So this idea of detachment also is that you work on yourself and detachment is kind of granted as a form of grace. You, you just notice that it's there. But again, if you don't have a spiritual practice, which means you sit with yourself in silence I don't know any other spiritual practice that does that same thing. Because when you listen to music or guided meditation, you are not with you. You're with the music. Um, you're with, uh, you know, changing your brain structure with bi binaural, what they're called, vibrations or tunes or whatever. And all that stuff is good. But they're not a spiritual practice. I call that alternative healing. Meditation to feel quiet and good and calm and all that, that's alternative medicine. That is not a spiritual practice as far as I'm concerned. Neither is yoga, though it's excellent for you. It's more in the field of psychology, of helping you to feel good about yourself and your body and feeling energy and all that. And it's great stuff. But if you really want to be in a relationship with yourself and with a higher power source, not your girlfriend guys that tell you, you know, to buy this outfit because it's on sale and there it is on sale and that's proof that God exists. You need to sit in silence. And I find that the majority of Americans cannot do that. And they hate it. And they find it boring. And it's not entertaining. <laughs> 
because they don't like themselves and they don't like being with themselves. So letting go of the fear of losing people that you love. Again, you have to go in a group. This is a couple of years down the road after anxiety and fear management and learning to be open and honest about yourself to yourself, having a spiritual practice, then good practice is practicing in a group with relationships that are not hard, high target values that you might lose. In other words, you might make some enemies or non-friends in some group that you're sharing in and you might get your feelings hurt and get to work through all of that before you try it with your child or your grandchild or your daughter-in-law or son-in-law, etc. So that is a matter of degree. You can't jump into this stuff. You have to uh, learn how to go into the shallow end of the pool first before going into the deep end. Hmm. When people talk about why can I be detached with some people and not with others, because not everybody is filling an emotional hole inside of you. So those who are not feeling, filling an emotional hole in you, you don't have so much attachment to them. But if it's somebody who's like, I finally met the one that makes me feel so special and so amazing. Yeah, you don't have that relationship. You're going to be in a deep hole if they're gone. But if it's your neighbor or your spouse who you're kind of sick of and, you know, you kind of lose that relationship, you might actually feel relieved instead of loss of some kind. And that's a really personal question also because sometimes you're with people that remind you of your mother or your father or some other trauma event and, or trauma pattern and you're working that out with this person by proxy and you don't even know it and it's like, why am, why am I so attached to this person? Well, now you need to be working with a therapist or a teacher or a healer in order to find out exactly what's going on. What is this attachment and what part of trauma is getting healed by you being so obsessed with this relationship or this particular person? And it can't be answered generically. It's just nonsense if I do that. So going back to or forward to some other questions. Let me see if I can get them up here on my laptop so I can actually look at messages. Here we go. I think I've answered this. Are there different social definitions of detachment used in different situations? Are there different levels that you use with different people? Absolutely. But ultimately, with a strong spiritual practice, there's only one kind of detachment, which is I'm just not afraid. I'm not afraid to be me. I treasure my relationship with myself more than I treasure having to keep a relationship with anybody else. And I am in a deep, intimate, real, visceral relationship, energetic, sometimes even physical relationship with spirit that keeps me feeling very safe and resilient and flexible and 
it's really hard to get attached in a human way after a while when you've been in practicing like that. But now we're looking at, you know, five, 10 years for some people, 15, 20 years of meditation, depending on the other work that they're doing for themselves. When it comes to sexuality and detachment and sensuality and fear of abandonment, these are, these are all related to everything that's already been talked about. What's different is that we have a lot of energy placed on sexuality. First of all, it feels good when it's great. And for those of you who are energy people, it's intolerable when it's not cosmic energy sex. So that doesn't mean that you're asexual or not sexual. It might mean that you're so energy sensitive that if you're with a non-energetic being, a non-aware energetic being, it's like having sex with a raccoon. It's just weird. Just not on the level that you think it should be. Oh, and I have to take everything off the floor because the new puppy is chewing everything. Women and orgasms, this happens with men too, but mostly with women. Having a cosmic orgasm, having a vaginal orgasm as opposed to a clitoral orgasm requires a tremendous amount of surrender. And surrender is part of detachment. Surrender means I allow myself to fully feel an experience and be fully in it. And then when it's over, I'm okay. One of the reasons you cannot find tantric workers in the United States is because Westerners attach so much meaning to everything they're attached to instead of working on detachment. So if they have sex with a tantric healer, and the whole point of having sex with a tantric healer, or coming to orgasm with a tantric healer, which you can do if you have a lot of surrender, you don't even need to have sex. The whole point is that after orgasm, all your energy channels are wide, wide open. And deep healing can go on, healing that you normally cannot access. It's one of the best methods for healing sexual abuse, if not the only method of healing sexual abuse, deep sexual abuse, not lightweight stuff. The problem in, the, in this country is that people make up a story that it's about love. And then when there's no partnership, marriage, monogamy, etc., and the healer's been straightforward and said, listen, this is what's going to happen, and it's healing, and that's it. There's lawsuits claiming rape or prostitution. And I'm not exaggerating. It's very, very dangerous in this country to engage in true tantric work. Most women that I know do not have great orgasms. And I know some women say, oh, yeah, you know, we do everything. You know, we use corkscrews and inner tubes and, you know, we have elephants in the room. And the reality with an orgasm is someone should be able to touch the inside of your elbow and you can have an orgasm because you call up that energy yourself. 
you don't need someone to stimulate you manually for two and a half hours until you're finally ready to get close to having an orgasm. But the way to get to that place, aside from cultivating energy, which again, silent meditation is the only way I know. Qigong helps, Tai Chi helps, yoga helps, but you also have to be able to be quiet and be with you because that cosmic sexual energy is between you and spirit. And if you can't be with you, then you can't be with spirit either. If nobody's home, television isn't on. There's no connection. Come here, Pia. Come on, come get some yummy food. So cosmic orgasms for women and for the sensitive men requires an ability to be fearless in allowing yourself to be completely vulnerable and open while another human being touches your body and to have an experience that you might get very attached to my water fountain there in the background you might get so attached to it that now you think you're in love you can actually have a cosmic orgasm sitting quietly in meditation, by the way. So if you can surrender in lovemaking without the fearful thought of, but will they leave me now? Will this happen again? What does this mean? I'll never find anybody else who can make me feel this way. All of those thoughts come in and they usually come in while you're making love so that you can't have a cosmic orgasm because you're already worried about what's going to happen next or what are they going to think of you or how are you going to recover from this and you'll never feel this way again and you feel this way because of them and all these fears and anxieties come in and again going back to what we talked about earlier if you don't have skills for handling fear and anxiety and if you haven't worked on your trauma brain whatever version of trauma brain that you have and if you can't be completely honest like you're working with a tantric worker and say I'm probably gonna fall in love with you so this may not be a good idea <laughs> or you can't be honest with yourself and say, I'm afraid to connect with this person because I know I'm going to run into all these attachments afterwards. And I don't think I can handle that right now. And I don't trust this person to go through that with me. Or you might be able to have a conversation with that person and talk about how to work with all the attachments afterwards. But that means you, you're having sex with someone who's done a lot of recovery work. All of this is relating to vulnerability and the source for vulnerability right now is Brene Brown. And that means reading her books and doing the work. And you can listen to as many podcasts as you want and nothing's going to change. It's like buying gym outfits and never going to the gym. Nothing's going to change. How do you practice vulnerability then? Again, you want to go into the shallow end of the pool. Try 12-step meetings. Therapist, a counselor, a healer is a good place to start. Writing, 
praying, but real praying, not that bullshit praying of, oh Lord, thank us, we we're going on a journey and bless this car and bless my family and give us all the good things we need so that we can make it uh, down to the beach in Mexico in good time and with not spending money on gas and nothing bad happens to us, amen. I'm not talking about that kind of praying. <laughs> There's no energy behind that. There's just greed and a lot of self-righteous, I'm special and Jesus should protect me and um, life will be good, you know, if I boss God around and tell God to take care of me and my family. No, I'm talking about the praying where you sit there and say to spirit, whoever you work with, I've done some horrible things and here's one of them and here's how I feel and here's how shitty it is and I don't know how to make amends for this and I don't know how to heal from this and I'm so embarrassed and I'm a greedy, selfish, horrible person in this particular case and maybe I am all the time and I just don't know it and I don't know where to go from here. That's the kind of praying I'm talking about. <laughs> There's vulnerability right there. Practicing detachment, another great way to practice detachment before you get to detachment, before it is granted to you by spirit, is working with boundaries. One of the biggest boundaries you can set is saying no and being terrified that people will drop you, they'll hate you, you won't get what you want, you'll be left out, you won't be popular, you won't be invited places, people might not find you good company, etc. I remember the first few times I said no to people, I, I almost died of heart attack because I just never said no to anybody in my early years. Whatever you wanted, I wanted to give it to you because that was my job on earth was to make everybody else happy. And I didn't understand that behind that was, that also made me feel safe because after all, if I'm making you happy, you won't leave me. <laughs> if I have something to give you and you can use me, I'll have value. <laughs> Oh, what an awful way to live. Awful, awful. Well, again, go back to the pros and cons when you're not willing to be open and vulnerable. If I, if I am not open and vulnerable, what's the price I'm paying? What's the good I get out of it? Well, I'm safe. People love me. They see I'm useful. I'm a people pleaser, so I'll keep all my friends. What am I, price I'm paying? Well, I seem to be drinking more alcohol, taking more weed, I'm having physical health issues. Um, I feel like shit inside. I don't really know who I am. Well, there you go. So far, now you know the price you're paying. Now, what if I risk taking a baby step in vulnerability by setting a boundary? Well, what's the worst going to happen? <clears throat> I'm going to lose these friends. I'll be lonely, maybe forever. But really, if I think about it, probably not forever, at least for a while. But I might lose these friends. Oh, I might lose these friends who have access to weed. I might lose these friends who have access to money. I might lose these friends who uh, have a, a timeshare in Hawaii. Okay, so that's all realistic. But what will you gain? Because you already know the price you're paying for this. Well, I won't be kissing ass anymore. I won't be brown nosing. Um, I can do more of what the hell I want to do instead of always trying to figure out how to get what I want from other people. And now you start to look at this. So not being vulnerable, not setting boundaries is going to cost you in one way. And setting boundaries is going to cost you in another way. And if you're not ready to make a change, don't. Don't do it. 
not until you're ready. So these are complex questions and detachment, like I said, is ultimately an, a more down the road state of being that comes with having a spiritual practice. And it takes a lot of baby steps to get there. If you're really serious about this, I'd go back to this podcast and take some notes, look up the resources I talked about, set out an hour each day to work on yourself like you were going to an online college. Don't get interrupted. Don't break your schedule. Just like you're going to work. You are. You're going to work on yourself. And continue to work with a healer, a teacher, a mentor, a therapist, and bring that work to them. It, you'll save years of therapy if you do extra work and bring it to the therapy session. But most people, they go to therapy like they go to church. They go there and then they don't do shit in between. <laughs> you go to church and you come out, as George Carlin says, feeling good instead of doing good. <laughs> but if you decide to do work and you look up attachment disorders and you look about boundaries and you look up vagus nerve and you look up self-care and self-parenting regulation of emotion and bring that into the sessions you can do 10 years of therapy in two years so i hope this helps thank you again for sending in questions i'm hoping to address questions about childhood and mothers and having uh messed up parents, especially ones that the public sees them as either crippled in some way, like you need to feel sorry for them, or in my case, I had a brilliant mother therapist and everybody loved her and she was so amazing. How could I possibly hate her or think anything bad about her? Because she was a fabulous woman and therapist, but as a mother, she was cuckoo. So it took a long, long time to be able to say, wow, there's some problems here with that. Because behind the scenes was completely different than what people saw out front, the public presentation. I'm hoping to address that on the next session here. And questions, send me questions, send me questions. How do you send them? On my website, there's contact information, how to get a hold of me, email, texting and on Instagram you can message me on Facebook you can message me both of those accounts are life path healings I hope this helps would love to see you at life path healings we work online as well as uh, in person classes can be done online though if you're a beginner I would not suggest it it's too hard if you have not been sitting in silence with yourself it's kind of hard to just pick that up online and not have an exposure to the energy that's in the room. One of the reasons we work with gurus or teachers is that they have a practice and their energy field is so strong that it affects your energy field. And that's why people go there. What gurus have to say, they've been saying the same thing since the beginning of time. <laughs> Slightly different versions, Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras, <laughs> on up, 
probably earlier, the cavemen and shamans and medicine people that we don't even know about before there was writing. I'm sure there was psychology. But what is hard to find is someone whose energy field shifts your energy field just because you're sitting with them. Once you know how to call that up, once you're okay sitting with yourself and feeling a connection with spirit, not having a story and an angel came down and told me everything's going to be okay and my dead father came to me and said he was sorry, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about those kinds of healings. They're real, they're wonderful, but they are not the same thing as being in a relationship with yourself and with Source. So I often turn people away online. I don't mean to be mean. I don't want to take your money if it's not going to be effective for you. I don't want to waste your time if it's not going to be effective for you. There are weekend workshops on the website about every two months. You can certainly stay in Yukaipa. There's inexpensive motels, hotels, Airbnbs, etc. And I spent thousands and thousands of dollars going on retreats with my teacher and other teachers. So just so you know, I've done a lot of work and spent a crap load of money, <laughs> which I don't regret a bit. But all my furniture comes from thrift stores and most of my clothes come from thrift stores and all my cars have been used because my money goes to my path and healing. So rearrange your priorities. And if you want to come to a weekend workshop and you'll spend a night and they run from like 10 to 4 or 4.30. And if you go on the Facebook page, there's a video there with a lot of testimonials. I actually paid everybody to do that, and I'm joking. But it might give you a good sample of what people feel about this kind of work. But also know that this is long-term. This is not one $3,000 New Age workshop and ta-da, your chakras are now spinning, your past lives are all cleared up, and your mother now loves you. <laughs> that's just not going to happen. I wish. But that's all fake shit. Thanks for listening. Hope to hear from you. And send more questions. <laughs>